we're talking about identity and what it means to be in Christ. The Apostle Paul was writing to the Colossians and showing them in the first couple chapters who Jesus Christ actually is. Gave them truth. Everything that you and I do in our life is based on what we believe is true. That's an important statement. If you believe God as revealed in the Bible, then your life will reflect it. You say, well, my life's not reflecting it. It's because you don't believe it. It's a hard statement, isn't it? But it's true. And the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Colossians, and you'll, you'll notice that the book of Ephesians has a similar theme. The book of Romans has a similar theme. He actually backs it up in the book of Philippians in a few places, but especially in the book of 1 Corinthians and even 2 Corinthians. Everything that Paul is talking about here is that your life changes in Jesus Christ. And understanding and applying our identity in Jesus Christ is the challenge of today. It's the paramount challenge in believers today because I live where you live, but not necessarily like you do. You are out in the workforce, you're out in the schools, you're, you're, you're hitting it every day. The media's hitting you 24-7 with a different message all the time. And so the message that Paul is trying to tell you here today is that your identity is not in what they're telling you. Your identity is in what the Holy Spirit is telling you through the Word of God. Oh yeah, if you truly believe it, you will live it. It's been the challenge for the last 2,000 years. And if we want revival in our land, we better start looking at revival in our hearts. And from our hearts, we'll go to our families and our schools and our, our neighborhoods, and then, and then we can see um, people come to Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to be back in the book of Colossians chapter number 3. And if you recall, last week we spoke about the first four verses here that Paul had two instructions that he gave him. And he said that I want you to seek and I want you to set. And then he gave him three incentives, three things that, that your authentic Christian life is not based in your abilities. It's based in something that's been done for you. And the first incentive was, of course, is that Christ is your life now. You know, you spend all your time trying to identify with someone else. Now your identity is actually Jesus Christ. And then the other incentive is because of that, you're secure in Christ. Uh, Jesus said one time, really got the Pharisees upset when he said one time to his disciples and others were listening. He says, you are in my hand and I'm in the father's hand. No one can get you. You are secure in me. And then we saw here the Apostle Paul said, that Jesus Christ is coming back again. And so he's got the glorious return of Jesus Christ. For, for and with the believers, it's going to be a glorious time. And our bodies will become like his body. But for the unbelievers, it's going to be a time of wrath. And we're going to be talking about that here today for a little bit. But let's have, let's have a read here just to remember the basis for today's message. It's in verses 1 to 4. And this isn't today's message, but this is a, a review. He says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind. The King James says, set your affections. Okay, what you think about is the things that you love. So set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Why is that? For you died. 
and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You imagine in that, that first Sunday when, the, when, when they were opening up, we got a letter from Paul. And they start unrolling the scroll and they begin to read this. And, and people are thinking, uh, what, what sort of message is he going to give us? This is a life-changing message. This is a message that's revolutionary. This is not some like sweet little talk about how to get on better with your neighbors. This is that you can get on better because Jesus Christ changes you from the inside and out. And when our interests are centered in Jesus Christ, our attitudes, our ambitions... And our outlook will be molded by that relation with him. That was a quote from last week's message. So where does this begin? Well, he says it begins because you were raised with Christ. We sang about that. Now, often I, we get used to the songs that we sing. You know, this is like a family gathering. We come together. Some of you are on school holidays and you, you gather your family. It gets kind of messy, doesn't it? You know, everything's noisy and all this. But you love each other. You know, it's family. And we sing these different songs and we're familiar with them. Do you hear, hear what we were actually singing? Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, someday you and I are going to see him. And we're going to be with him. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. So we are sojourners here on this planet. Our, we, we, we hold things very loosely. But we also cherish things because God gives us the ability to do that. And so what our attitudes change, our ambitions change, our outlook changes. And so where does this begin? Well, it begins with being raised in Christ. But there's a process. I've been thinking about this all week. And, um, and I've been putting all these different things together. I had to get all A's in there. And so that was the first thing. And then I changed and changed. And at the last minute, I even added one more. And I realized it's pretty a lot to think about. And it says this. What you affirm will attract your affection. Your affections now will influence your attitudes. And your attitudes will affect your ambitions. And it's your ambitions that direct your actions. And we often look at our actions and we think to ourselves, I wish I'd stop doing this. I wish I could break this habit. I wish this wouldn't control me so much. And we're looking at our actions all the time. And that's what is normally revealed. But that's not where the issue starts. Either righteous or unrighteous. It doesn't start with our actions. It starts way back with what we affirm. If you truly believe in Jesus Christ, you will live for Christ. The Bible says, the fool has said in his own heart, there is no God. And I'm not looking at fools here today. And so when we believe what Jesus Christ is, we become followers of Jesus Christ. So therefore, we become disciples of Jesus Christ. And therefore, the Bible says here, he says, we are raised with Christ. We set our minds on heavenly things. And because we, our life is now hidden in Christ, in, with Christ in God. And he says, and because that, when Jesus Christ appears, we will appear with him also. Do you see how intricately connected we are with the life of Jesus Christ? So our actions are based on truth. And this truth is truth that you will actually affirm, not just accept. There's a lot of people today. 
who don't really know what they believe. They just simply say, well, I believe whatever the church teaches. We're having a discovery class here in a, in a, in a few weeks that, that, um, that you can sign up for. Michael will probably talk about it a little bit later. And it will tell you basically what our church believes and it will invite you to come and be a part of our church. And we would love that. We just think that's a wonderful thing. But it's not that you can just hang on to whatever the creed. Baptists don't have creeds so much. They have confessions, confessions of faith. And so what we do is we're going to encourage you to make that your confession. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's not telling us, just believe what I believe. He's telling you who you are in Jesus Christ. So the truth that your actions are based on the truth that you actually affirm, that you actually acknowledge. There's another, there's another A word I could have added. I'll put that in later, okay? Uh, that, that's what gets you. When you start to meditate on these things, you say, what comes first and where does it happen and what influences what? I want you to really think about that this week because the Apostle Paul wrote these things for us to actually implement in our life. So now we're going to look um, at, at not just our position in Christ, but we're going to look at how our position in Christ is actually practiced. So the Apostle Paul is going to guide us through a process and i'm not going to go deep into this but i'd like you to turn in your bibles to to um, colossians 3 again and we're going to look at verses 5 down to verse number 17 we're going to be here for until about two o'clock in the afternoon okay and so so we're just going to look go through it quickly and um but but it deserves our attention greatly so he says here In verses 3 to 5, we're going to grab this in little bites here. He says, therefore. You remember, whenever you see a therefore, you always look at the previous verses because it's an application. So he says in verse number 5, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things... The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Now, this is the process here of renewal. We're not talking about salvation. Salvation is being born again. It's a it's, it's an occurrence. It's instant. And but but that but now we're talking about practical sanctification. It's what happens to believers. And the first thing he's going to look at here is death to the power of sin. And so we're going to look at the first point here that he brings out in verse number five is he identifies what a sinful life looks like. He identifies why sin is so prevalent. And and you're going to see here, you know, um, he he says in in, in verse number um, five, he says fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Sounds like Netflix, doesn't it? You know, and, and he's living this. This is this. Is, there's not one person, whether you're a Christian, you're not a Christian, who thinks that any of those is good things. They're all bad things. And he says those are the things that that um, that that um, that are sins that control this society that we live in today. And so what he's wanting you to do is to see Life in sin like God sees it. This is part of this process. So today's message is entitled Renewal in Christ. 
The principle is in Christ, I am in a process of renewal. If you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, God wants you to grow. He wants you to develop. That's everything that you have in life, including what you're seeing right now and what you're going to see tomorrow morning when you get up to go to work is part of your renewal and your spiritual renewal in Jesus Christ, your growth. It doesn't matter if you've been saved five minutes or if you've been saved for 50 or 60 years. You're part of this process of renewal. You know, this theme is all through the Bible. I'm going to pick some verses here that will be very familiar to you. But in Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about 6, 7, and 8 are incredible chapters. You, you know, I often talk about this. But in chapter number 6, in verses 11 to 13, he talks about how, how our sin has been defeated by the cross of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, we need to apply that to our own lives. We are actually victorious. So look what it says in verse number 11. He says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, consider this to be fact because it is. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God, being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. The Apostle Paul was not writing this to theologians. He was writing this to people like you and me. And we're to be, uh, first of all, he says, the, the thing is, he said, we're to, to see ourselves as God sees us. We do a lot of self-talk, don't we? What we relate to, oh, I'm this or I'm that. I can never achieve this. And then we hear a lot of talk like you can do anything that's, imp you know, impossible is not a word. You can do anything. And we know that's not true. <laughs> we know that uh, really the truth that we affirm is what's going to change the things that we think about. So we need to go back and look at the things that God says is actually true and then apply ourselves to that. So he says, what's the thing that's true? He says that, that you are dead indeed to sin. You're secure in Jesus Christ. You may be here today, and you may be struggling with that, and you're wanting to be acceptable and accepted in the eyes of God. You're wanting to be that. You need to accept what he has done for you. Receive him as your personal savior. And as you do that, you will understand more and more that your life is hid in him and he's taken your sins. So what we do here is you go down to verse number 13. We're still in Romans 6. And he says here that you reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but you also present yourself as being alive from the dead. That's why church should not be boring. <laughs> church should be an exciting place to be. Sermons should not be just, just light little things. They should, they should make you think. They should make you go back and to look at the word of God and say, what is God doing in my life today? Romans chapter 8 and verse number 13, the apostle Paul says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But it's through the spirit of God 
that you and I can understand what Paul is saying here when he says death to the power of sin in our life. Now, why is that so important? The second thing Paul says, we're back in Colossians 3. The second thing he says in verse number 6 is that God's judgment is upon sin. So if you're looking for a word there, it's the word indictment. So we have that sinful life was identified. And so we see there that that sinful life, by the way, you see that sinful life. And I spoke about this last week. We, we name it as pride. <laughs> and we go out and we say, look how good we are. And, and, and God looks at it and he said, well, actually, that's a sinful life. So we say, well, what does that matter? Well, let's see what Paul says here. In verse number six, he says, therefore, verse five, put to death your members which are on the earth fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Boy, there's a wake-up call, isn't it? The wrath of God is coming. Or if, if it, the, the, the wrath of God, if that helps you understand it better. It's either the wrath of God or the wrath of God. It's coming. God is going to judge sin aren't you glad you're saved aren't you glad that that judgment was already taken care of on the cross of calvary when jesus christ took your judgment and he took it upon himself and he says here that god's judgment is going to be upon you in ephesians he kind of gives you an idea what that looked like he says in ephesians chapter 2 i told you that all these chapter all these books seem to have the same theme ephesians chapter 2 that he gives us the contrast that we have in our life, why the judgment is on sin. And he says in verse number one, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were, and here's the key, were by nature children of wrath, just as others. God's righteous wrath is against sin. Our God is a God of love, true. But our God is also a holy God. He's a God who has to judge sin. That's what makes the gospel such good news. Because he took that judgment upon himself in Jesus Christ. John 3, um, the whole chapter of John 3 talks about that. And um, in, in, in John chapter 3, you have that famous verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. He says here, if I can continue to remember, because I don't have it written down here, for God set not his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But have you read the rest of the chapter? At the end of that chapter, that beautiful, beautiful chapter, in verse number 36, he says this, he who believes in the son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. It's resting on him. We have, a, we have a whole world out there, my friends, who are, where the wrath of God is resting upon them and they don't even know it. 
And you and I have that blessed gospel message. And our eyes have been opened up to this truth. And that's what Paul is saying here. He is indicating here that the wrath of God and in, um, is in, in, um, in Romans 1.18. I think I missed that one before. But the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So that's, that's the, the, the reason why the power of sin that Paul says is so important that we consider ourselves to be dead to that. Stop playing around with sin, he's saying. Stop, stop trying to control it because it's going to control you. So why is that? He says, first of all, he identifies what sin is, the whole lifestyle. Then he shows you the indictment of sin. But then the third point that he's saying here in verse number seven is that sin is a thing of the past for you. It's a thing of the past. That's your old life. Put it behind you. That's why we put to death sin. Colossians verse number, um, uh, chapter number three and verse number six says, because of these things, the, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Paul reminded them that they weren't that anymore. Um, isn't it a glorious thing? This is something that I'm going to recommend that you do uh, every so often. Go back and just, just pray to God or talk to God about the blessings that he's given you because you're saved. You know, I've known the Lord for over 60 years now. I've been a Christian. And I sit back and I think, I wonder what life would be like if I hadn't accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. He said, well, don't dwell on that, Larry, because you're dead to sin. It's like saying, what would life be like if I was dead? Well, you would be dead. I'm dead to sin. So what is life like? Because you know the Lord is your Savior. Think of the security that you have. The confidence that you have that you didn't have before. You say, yeah, but I'm struggling. I'm fighting this, this battle and that battle. Welcome to Christian Life 101. Because that's exactly what Paul says. If you're in the battle, then that is a wonderful thing to recognize because there's a lot of people out there that do not recognize that they're actually in a battle. And so Paul says here, he reminds us of this fact that we were once that way. You know, there's a song that we used to sing or I used to sing as a kid. There's been a great change since I've been born again. Little kids would go, there's been a great, great change, change, part, Michael Parker mentioned. Maybe we could do it. No, no, we're I'm not even going to look at him. And so, so you know, we, we, we sing this change. There's been a great change. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to say, I don't say them anymore. Why? Because there's been a great change since I've been born again. You know, one time I was being a smart aleck in class when I was singing that song. It just came to my mind. Perhaps we can take this out of the out of the audio later, but, um, but I was being a smart aleck, and I said, the things I used to do, I do them all the more. And I realized, no, I actually I don't. Because whenever I do, I get convicted. It's harder for you and I to live in the process of sin, if you're a Christian, than it is to live righteously. The way of the sinner is very, very hard. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he's talking to the Corinthians, who were, he called that a carnal church. 
they were a church that on the outside, it says we're Christians, but they were actually being driven by carnal desires all the time. So we saw they were arguing in the church. There, there was a division over leadership in the church. There was a division over, over any different thing in the church that was going on. And there was gross sins going on in the church. Paul said, well, of course there was. Look what's driving you. Where's your mind? What are you thinking about? What's motivating you? And he says in chapter 6, verse number 9, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And everybody goes, that's right. We understand that. He says, Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. I'm just reading from the Bible here. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But verse number 11 is powerful. And such were some of you. But things are different now. There's been a great change. You were washed, but you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. Remember I quoted um, uh, Romans 8, 13 where he said here by the spirit of God, you put to death the deeds of the body. And this is where he's saying here, you did that because you were saved. Salvation did a work in you. So how does this work on the outside? Well, Paul says you're going to need to, and this is the next point, you're going to need to discard some stuff out of your life. You're going to have to say, you know, enough's enough with this. I'm, I'm kind of tired of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this away. It's like, it's like, you know, the old jumper that my wife tells me, you know, uh, you know, your elbows. I said, can you fix it? You know, just fix it because I love this old jumper. No, you just need to get rid of that jumper. If you come to my house and I'm working, I'll be wearing that stupid old jumper because it's just, it feels comfortable. But, you know, sometimes that old life feels comfortable for you, but you just got to get rid of it. You got to discard it. It's going to be a, a stumbling block for others. It's not going to help you grow in Christ. In fact, he says that those different things, he called them idolatry. Did you catch that when he says that the covetousness is actually idolatry? When our greed to get more and more and more actually takes place before God and it gets us in and, and God gets blurred in the background because we're looking at this all the time. That's called idolatry. Well, he tells us we need to put off the old man with the old practices and we need to put on the new man and we put on the new man because we renew our minds in knowledge. This is a powerful passage. Look at verses 8 through 11. He says in Colossians, this is the next part here. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Now these are the ones that you and I can start working on. Okay? Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, which is actually not just blasphemy against God, because that's pretty easy to say, no, we're not going to do that. Blasphemy in, the, in this context is actually talking about slander against other Christians. He's talking about what it looks like in the church of God. That's why a lot of people don't want to be involved with the church because it just gets too uncomfortable. But that's where the experiment goes. That's where we begin to, to, to learn how to live in Christ. If you want your character to grow, do two things. Join the church and get married. Because with both of those, you're going to have to learn to be you. And you're going to not like what you see, so you're going to have to learn to grow. And it's going to cut like iron sharpens iron. 
It's a very important thing to understand. Let's keep going here. He says, uh, he says, put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie one to another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Whether, uh, and then he's talking about what the church looks like. Where, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. Those are the issues of that day. We could say whether you are, and I'm not going to talk about any of your races or where you're coming from in your country. And uh, No, we're one in Christ. And he says here, but in Christ is all and in all. So first of all, he says here, he says, put off that old man with your old practices. Because Christ is all in all. And book of Hebrews kind of brings that out in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1. And the first part of verse number 2 when he says therefore. If you know Hebrews chapter number 11. The famous faith chapter. And gives us all the illustrations of the men and women who walked by faith. Did you catch the last part of chapter 11 though? Most of them died. They were martyred for their faith. And he says in chapter 12 therefore. There's another application. We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then verse number two, the first part of it tells us, where, where should your eyes be when you're running this, this wonderful spiritual race? He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. There's one thing I'm learning in my life that whenever I get discouraged, I look around and that's the problem. I'm looking around. I'm either seeing what someone else is doing or not doing, or I'm seeing what I am doing or not doing. And he says, no, no, lift up your eyes, Nelson. Look at the author and the finisher of your faith. Isn't that the same thing that he said to the Colossians when he says, set your mind on things above, not on things on earth? That's why you've got, and I'm throwing this in, this, is, this, will be, this might be the some, something that will change your life right now, this next statement. That's why you need to be reading your Bible. You need to be in a Bible reading program. You need to join a connect group. I'm going to throw that out again. You need to join my Friday night Bible study. You need, to, you need to be involved in things in this church. You say, no, I don't need that. I'm just too busy. I'm doing this. Then you're just too busy. <laughs> because that's what he's saying. You, you set your eyes on the things above. Then your affections will follow. And from your affections, your attitudes will, will be developed. And from your attitudes will come your, did I get this right? Your ambitions. And from your ambitions, then your actions will follow. Because this is what Christians do. Yeah, we lay aside every weight. So what attitudes, what ambitions are actually weights in your life? And they're causing you to stumble. Or worse yet, causing those around you who depend on you stumbling. But he says, and so then he says in, in the next part here, he says, so once you put off something, he said, now start putting something on. Put on that new man renewed in knowledge renewed in knowledge so it's not just thinking i want to put on this new person no he says it's renewed in the knowledge and if you go back in in in, in, in chapter number 
1 and 2. He'll tell you about the knowledge that you need to do. He says here in, in, in chapter 1, verse number 5, it just came to my mind. He says that, uh, uh, verse number 5, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, which you heard before the word of truth in the gospel. And he goes on later on in, in, in chapter number uh, 1, and he talks about the reconciliation we have in Christ. In chapter number 2, he, he builds upon that, and he talks about how you're complete in him because you have the fullness of God in Jesus Christ. It just gets better and better and better. But you don't know it if you're not reading it. You don't know if you're not meditating on it. And you don't have to, this doesn't have to be something that, that, that is, is, uh, that, uh, that's hard. We've got so many wonderful apps today and so many wonderful things. When you're out walking, don't put on the rock music in your mind. Do people listen to rock music anymore? Or is it something else now? I know I'm so bad. And so, no, no, listen to good stuff in your mind. There, there's good, if you want some ideas on that, see us. We'll give you some great ideas. In fact, I think you could even listen to some of the sermons that we do here. I dozed off during the sermon. Well, listen to it on the podcast. Put these things in your mind. Why? Because Paul says you put on the new man when you are renewed in knowledge. You know, my life verses, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. All he's asking you to do is to set, seek the kingdom of God, to, to, to set your mind on these things, and he'll do the rest. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Paul says here, the process of your renewal, and this is so powerful, is your death to that power of sin, and you begin to practically identify and discard those old ways. And as you do that, by the way, let me tell you a couple things that, that will help you do that. A couple ways is to actually ask God to reveal those to you and, um, and then wait for him to answer. And he will. Oh, he's, he's certainly he's always faithful to do that. You know, Lord, show me some of the things in my life that I need to work on. Uh, not that one. <laughs> not that one. And then do another thing. Join accountability group. Get involved in a small group. And allow yourself to get to know each other. And you'll understand that people aren't going to judge you. People, they're not. And if they do, well, that's something they need to work on. Consider the source. And then begin to go around God's word. And that's why these connect groups are so very important. Because as we do this, we begin to grow more and more. And so, so he, he's, he's indicating here's the third point now. In verses 12 to 17, we're going to kind of bring this to a conclusion now. He says, now, you've discarded these things, and I had to come up with another D word. So now you're going to declare the new ways. Declare them, the new ways. You can put whatever word you want in there, but, but, um, but you need to start living something that when people see you, they say, ah, that's what he's declaring. What a difference it is from what we just read. Um. Let, let me just, just read this here in verses 12 to 14. Therefore, and we remembered our lesson, don't we? There's a therefore. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing 
with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Yeah, what, what a difference. Look at compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with, or I like to say putting up with certain people, and, um, and, and, and then forgiveness and love. Do you see how he's talking? This is where we live. This isn't pie in the sky stuff there. You know, he says here, he says, he says uh, to, to seek those saints which are above. And so sometimes we think, well, as long as we have our eyes and our, uh, up there and, and our mind up there, then nothing's going to affect us down here. And then we look around, we say, well, we live here. And sometimes what people do is they check out. We get men who check out of marriages because they can't handle the pressure. We get kids who check out of, of their family uh, situation here and they say, look, we're just going to do it because they don't want to change. We get people who leave churches who don't want to be involved in a church group because you're just getting a little too close. There's just too much going on here that affects me. And yet Paul says, this is normal Christian living. And so first of all, he says you need to behave like God's chosen ones because that's exactly what you are. He chose you. And he didn't just choose you to continue to live your life. He says he chose you. And you need to read scripture because scripture tells you what it is. You're the elect of God, holy and beloved. You're set apart and you're loved. And he says, and because of that, you put on those tender mercies of kindness, the humility and all this. And all those things that interact with each other started with what your attitude was. Therefore, because you've been chosen, you're holy in love, you can now live those characteristics of holiness. And that's the attitude that God expects in the local church. That's exactly it. You know, and, and he says here, above all, in verse number 14, it's that love that binds us all perfectly together. And that's what that verse means. It's the love that brings us in, in the, in the um, um, some versions call it charity. It's the outworking of love. You know, it's love that says that you'll put up with somebody else. It's love that says, you know what? I could do this easier myself, but actually you need to grow. So I'm going to help you grow with you. It's that love that says, you know what? You might have offended me, but I think I'm just going to need to just forgive and move on. That's love. And he says it's that is what binds everything together. And that's the Holy Spirit working within us. In Galatians 5.22, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? All these different things tender mercies, kindness, and all that. Well, it should sound familiar because it's the fruit of the Spirit. There's di nine different things here, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Everything that Larry isn't is the fruit of the Spirit. And so if you see this in your life, it's because God's working in your life. He says, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Okay, now there are just a couple of areas here as we bring this to a close here. Just a couple of areas that God says that we need to allow God to do in our life. So we're declaring that we are God's chosen people. 
Now, we need to do two things. We need to allow the peace of God to rule in our lives. That's something that we need to allow happen. Now, I think Paul chose his words carefully. They're the inspired word of God. He says in verse number 15, and let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let it happen. Stop fighting it. Let, let the result happen. Let God do his work in your life. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. And then number two is, he said, allow the word of God to live in you. That's why I said, just get the Bible reading habit. Get into it. And he said, because in verse number 16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Here's what's going to happen. In all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. In you wonder why we sing in church? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. What great results happen. You ever dream that you'd be doing what you're doing now? Think about that. You know, you're sitting in a congregation with people who you're learning to love and you're singing songs to Jesus Christ and to the Lord and you're praising God. That's not normal, is it? <laughs> That's something that Christians do. Now, the world can, can emulate it and try to act like it, but they won't last very long. What will happen is they'll turn it into some ritual. They'll turn it into some legalistic thing. The next generation will say, I'm out of that. Well, I want something more real. And that's exactly what he gives us. The results is, is, that, is that we allow the peace of God. And in fact, when it says allow the peace of God to, to rule in your life, what it's talking about here quite literally is allow, it to be, allow him to be the umpire. When you see a disagreement, and that's what he's talking about here, when you see disagreements and complaints and everything, allow that peace to prevail. The umpire, we've learned a little bit about how umpires in cricket... <laughs> <laughs> the umpire's word should be the last word. We should say, fine. And le but let peace be that umpire. That's what he's saying here. And so, and he says, and allow the word of Christ to dwell in you in the way that you sing, in your spiritual songs and all this. That's why, that's why your playlist should be different now. Because, because now we're singing to the Lord. And then appreciate God in everything that you do. Yeah, the attitude of, of gratitude is so very important. Because he says in verse number 17, And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, in corporate worship, this is what we do. And we say, when you're out in the workforce, you don't necessarily say that out loud and all this, but you recognize, oh, the Lord gave me that. Let me encourage you. I don't know if you pray before you eat your meals, but that's a good time to sit down and just say, look, family, let's thank God for what he's done in our family. And then eat. Make sure they close their eyes. And then eat. And then when, 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 you're, when something happens in, you know, out there in the workforce, say, Lord, I recognize you're working in my life with that. So thank you. You don't have to say it out loud. Just That is part of that process that starts in your mind because you're setting your mind on things above. This week, I had the, the pleasure of um, visiting a family camp down in Bustleton. 
And I was looking for a final illustration here. And um, I was going to use this passage of scripture. And my niece's husband is preaching down there. And um, he, he's flying back. He's from Philadelphia. And, and he's flying back. We're not going to be able to see him here at our church. But he preached a great sermon down there at this little family camp. And I told him afterwards, you gave me the illustration that I need. So I'm just telling you right now, this is one that supports the scripture I was going to do. But I did change a few things to make it my own because I, I have to. Otherwise, I won't remember. But we need to sometimes just think about this. It will be on the board here in just a moment. And um, we need to stop. We need to stop. And so if you, this might be something that can absolutely be something you can take home and practice this week. Because our processes, well, our thought life is where it all begins. And so, so if you remember this, first of all, we need to stop and think. So I, I, I taking the first three letters, stop, the first letter of each word, stop, think, overturn, and praise. Stop, think, overturn, and praise. First of all, when you, you know, these thoughts just bounce around in your mind all the time, don't they? You probably had several of them right now. I've had it several of them right now. You know, little things that came up and I said, no, no, I need. First of all, you need to confront those thoughts. Don't let your mind be out of control. Do you know what amusement means? Not thinking. Literally means amusement, not musing, not thinking. Now, I'm not against amusements, but I'm just saying that's what it means. You know, you sit in front of the TV and you say, well, I'll just uh, shut off my mind. Your mind does not shut off. And so what you need to understand is, and this is something practical that you'll be doing for the rest of your life. When those thoughts come in your mind, don't just let them be out of control. And, 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 and don't say this out loud, especially if you're walking around, although people might think you're on the phone. Just say, stop right there. <laughs> where did that thought come from? Well, I don't care where it came from. I know where it's going. And let it go right on through. For some of you, if it goes in here, it might come out quite easily there. I don't know, but sometimes it bounces around and you play with it. You try to control that thought. That's called the lust and it builds up. Adultery never starts with the action. Never. Neither does covetousness. Neither does bitterness. Neither does any of those things that so easily beset us. It starts with a thought. So we confront our thoughts and then we think. We stop and we think. We challenge those thoughts. The Bible tells us in, in, in the book of um, 2 Corinthians, and we'll close with that in just a moment, that we need to capture those thoughts. It's called disciplined thinking. Now, that's not for me. Well, it's going to have to be for you if you're going to grow in the Christian life. This is non-negotiable. You say, well, I'm not intelligent enough to do that. Oh, yes, you are. If you're thinking, you're intelligent enough to do this. What you need to do is to confront those thoughts, challenge those thoughts, and then confess your thinking. In other words, to state it for what it is, and that is to overturn it. State it, you know what? That's actually not a good thought at all. I've just had that thought so many times, I've kind of gotten used to it. But it's not a good thought, whether it's righteous or not. Because if it's a righteous thought... That's a righteous thought. I think I'm going to take that and I'm going to dwell on that a little bit more. That's what happens when it changes your 
your, your affections now start to change. Your attitudes start to change. And then you'll begin to have more different ambitions. You know, uh, you, know you think about serving the Lord in the church. Serving the Lord in the church. Sometimes you see it just the people up here, just down there, and you think that's serving in the church. There's so much more than that. But you know, it started with a, a, a thought. And then from that became, you know, there's not one person up here that doesn't want to do what they're doing. They loved it, but it started with a thought, and then someone encouraged it. They got in the word of God, and they got to see that, you know what? We can sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We can, and then people have said, well, you know what? I can open up the Bible, and I can explain that to somebody else. I can become a Bible teacher. And then he said, so you confess it for what it really is. And then, and then the end one is praise, and that's where the renewal has occurred. Because whenever you, your thoughts turn to the praise to the Lord, that's exactly what verse 17 says here. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You say, where's praise? That is praise. That's what praise is. That's right. Praise to God changes your thinking. Now let me close with this verse. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The distractions in our life, he says, we cast them down. We put them aside. And we bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Let's all stand together. And as we close, let me encourage you this week and make this a part of your daily living. And if you forget what it is, go back to Colossians chapter 3 and Paul will remind you it's the word of God. But begin to affirm truth. And as you affirm truth, the Bible says that you begin to recognize what is actually true. Because a lot of the things you're going to be seeing today that are coming through the world are not true. And then from that, your marriages will get better. Your relationship with your kids will get better. Your, 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 your attitude with your employer and your employee relationships will get better. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Because all these become practical. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us where we were. Because that was where the judgment of God was. But Lord, we put our trust and our faith in you. And I pray, Lord, if there's somebody here today who needs to make decisions on changing the way that they think. That Lord, that today would be that day that they would do that. And begin that process of renewal. For we pray and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.